My name is Sander and I'm a huge fan of coffee, cocoa and the climate. And since you're here, I'm going to bet that you are too. When you're like us, you love thinking about how the products we love so much can benefit all the people in the supply chain while remaining within our planetary boundaries. This is the Carbocast. Let's dig in. When companies in the coffee and cocoa space reach out to me, one of the first questions they often ask is, can we sell carbon credits to finance our transition to regenerative farming? And it sounds like a really attractive idea, using funding from the voluntary carbon market to meet your own climate goals. But is it really so simple? We've all seen the news articles criticizing the carbon markets, and these articles largely focus on the lack of quality in carbon credits. But I always felt that there was a much bigger problem in the idea of using offsets. If I'm able to realize a carbon emission reduction or a removal of emissions within my value chain, and I package that as a carbon credit and sell it to say an airline that wants to compensate for their emissions, is it really fair that both of us can include the emission reduction in our GHG disclosures? I'm not an accountant, but I've always felt that if there's a credit, there has to be a corresponding debit as well. To understand better if companies should use carbon credits to become net positive, I promised my colleagues that I would read and summarize the GHG protocol's new land sector and removals guidance. What I didn't know when I made the promise was that the entire document is 429 pages. So making this episode took longer than what we planned. Most of the document is pretty straightforward and it deals with concepts like accounting for land use change emissions, accounting for removals, accounting for insetting. And I'm sure we'll get a chance to discuss many of these subjects in detail, but today I only want to focus about what happens if I create and sell a carbon credit. Here in chapter three, I found something interesting. It says to avoid double counting of credits used as offsets or compensation, companies shall deduct emission reductions or removals associated with the sale of credits used as offsets from the company's GHG target accounting. It's chapter 3.2.13. And although it's easy to overlook this, the implication of it is huge. And I'll explain why. Imagine that I'm a coffee trader that has committed to net zero and I want to use carbon credits to finance this transition. I trade around 100 tons of coffee, which is about five container loads. And at the start of the project, my annual emissions are 1,000 tons of CO2 equivalent, 700 of which are caused by land use change. By switching to regenerative farming practices, my farmers are able to remove 100 tons of CO2 equivalent from the atmosphere, which I get certified and sell as carbon credits to an airline that wants to offer their passengers an option to offset their carbon emissions. Now, when I prepare my annual GHG accounting, following the guidance from the GHG protocols, new land sector and removals guidance, I have to deduct the removals that were associated with the sale of the credits. This makes sense since otherwise both my company and the airline that I sell the credits to will be able to include the removals in their reporting, which will be double counting and which sadly still exists in our space. Now, after I deduct the removals that I sold as a carbon credit, my GHG accounting looks actually exactly the same as in the base year, meaning that I've made no progress whatsoever towards net zero. If that looks bad, it can actually get much worse. There are two types of carbon credits, 
We have exposed carbon credits and ex-ante carbon credits. In the case of exposed carbon credits, the credits are issued after the climate benefits have been realized. It gets a bit weird in the case of ex-ante carbon credits, because here the certificates are issued before the climate benefit has been achieved. The GHG protocol's land sector and removals guidance doesn't specify how we should deal with these ex-ante carbon credits, but if we would follow the same logic, it would mean that we would need to deduct removals that would happen in the future from our current year's reporting. And we would actually end up looking much, much worse than in our baseline year. Personally, I'm really happy with this draft of the GHG Protocol's land sector and removals guidance, since it addresses a major flaw that I always felt was part of how we like to think about carbon. I firmly believe that every credit needs a corresponding debit. It also means it becomes totally unattractive for companies to use the voluntary carbon market to finance their transition towards net positive commodities or net zero in 2050. It also means that as an industry, we have to start working together at all the different levels in the value chains on reducing and removing emissions, which perfectly fits the goal of the Paris Climate Agreement, which is planetary net zero in 2050. These are my thoughts. I would love to hear yours. Feel free to comment, follow us on LinkedIn, or you can find us at carbol.co.